Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Just a heads up, today's episode of The Quickie does discuss violence against women. If this is an issue for you, make sure you reach out to someone. 1-800-RESPECT is the number to call. And if this is a trigger for you, maybe wait for tomorrow's episode. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Do you know who Courtney Heron is? Courtney Heron's murder has again shocked the city. Mourners have gathered in a Melbourne park for a silent vigil. Has now been charged with one count of murder. If you don't, her dad John wants to remind you. Because he doesn't want her to become just another statistic. Another Australian woman killed by violent, unstable men. Yeah, it's difficult, but she gives me strength to to keep going. The man who killed Courtney had a history of domestic violence and mental health issues that some say, had they been taken seriously, Courtney may still be alive today. Today, we find out how Australia's systems seem to be so broken, allowing dangerous men to walk the same space as their victims. She's a very intelligent, vibrant young lady, headstrong, but uh, very determined resilient and if you look at her photographs a really beautiful girl she was challenging but very thoughtful and probably mum's a bit headstrong so she's got a lot of that being greek australian so i'll leave it at that that's john heron talking about his daughter courtney who in may last year was bludgeoned to death by 27 year old henry hammond she was only 25 Hammond had met Courtney just hours before he killed her in Melbourne's Royal Park using a fallen tree branch as a weapon in an attack that lasted nearly an hour. This week, Henry Hammond was found not guilty of murder by reason of mental impairment, the magistrate recognising that he was suffering a schizophrenic relapse at the time of the murder, the court identifying the mental illness as the most significant factor in his actions and that without it, a testifying psychiatrist says the attack would never have happened. But something else may have ensured that attack never happened. If Hammond had remained behind bars for another crime and the system ensured his mental health issues were treated. In December 2018, Henry Hammond was found guilty of assaulting his ex-girlfriend in her apartment in St Kilda East and sentenced to 10 months behind bars. She had broken off the relationship just days before when Hammond, a father of two, threatened her with a kitchen knife. He then punched her in the face, breaking her eye socket, before attempting to strangle her. He was arrested, telling police that he believed his ex was trying to steal his soul and that he was a Viking shaman. During sentencing, the magistrate said that he held enormous concerns for public safety given Hammond's apparent break from reality. But that wouldn't be enough to keep him behind bars. Just four months later, his lawyer successfully argued to the county court that Hammond's sentence was manifestly excessive, the judge ordering he be released on a 12-month community correction order that required Hammond to remain under supervision and attend mandatory treatment for drug, alcohol and mental health issues. The same judge noted that Hammond seemed to have an inability to control his impulses, telling him to face up to his difficulties. At the time this ruling was made... Hammond had no home to return to, 
and just a few weeks later, still homeless, he would approach Courtney Heron to ask her for a cigarette. She shouted him dinner and then went to a small gathering with Courtney's friends. They smoked ice together before walking through Royal Park where Hammond picked up the branch. A witness says she asked him, Are you going to kill me? When police investigators found Hammond, he told them that he'd recognised Courtney from a past life and that during that life she'd been treacherous to his family, burying his wife alive. He believed that he'd finally been given his right to revenge when the tree branch seemingly fell on the ground before him. Psychiatrists for both the defence and the prosecution, who, in an unusual turn of events, both work for the same psychiatric institution, say he is clearly unwell, that while his condition, which affects around 1% of the population, wasn't caused by drugs, they wouldn't have made the matter any better. So why was this man allowed to walk free from jail without the supervision and support that the system had promised would be in place to protect both himself and the public to which these judges admitted he was a threat? How many women have to be hurt or killed before Hammond and men like him are held responsible for their crimes? Courtney's dad, John, is himself a criminal lawyer and says he's been campaigning hard to try and have Hammond face trial for murder, but found the Department of Public Prosecutions didn't want to hear him. It's been a long battle uh, with the Director of Public Prosecutions. It's been a fruitless battle. It's a combination of uh, bordering between rudeness and and just dismissing the parents. So did you feel all along that there was ever a chance that the killer would be facing a murder trial? Were you ever given that indication or was it always going to be a case of the mental health issues were going to be taking precedence here? It was sold subtly at first, but it has been sold for 12 months. So as soon as that was flagged that that was a defence, look, being a, a lawyer and operating in this space, I already knew that um, from a reputational perspective that Office of Public Prosecutions tends to put up the white flag when you get something like this. And indeed, that was evident in some of your listeners might know that the killer was released early from a very vicious crime against a woman. And at that time, the the Office of Public Prosecutions didn't oppose that at all and actually said nothing. One of the disappointing things in the prosecution's case with Courtney, and and it's an all-too-common thing, is what you might call victim-shaming and shifting some of the blame to the woman. And I think that's, that's to be deplored. Although all of the cases about the perpetrator, we should be hearing more of those facts, but not roping in the victim to the actual crime. Speaking of that, can you talk me through how you felt when you found out that Courtney wasn't the only woman that Hammond had attacked? That took some time. It it was probably uh, eight months after Courtney's death and it was eked out to me and I was misled about it from the Office of Public Prosecutions on the severity of the nature of, of that incident and then also initially that he was released four months earlier. I was led to believe it was only a few weeks and it wasn't really relevant. And it was only a current affair that detailed that because they had transcripts. And only recently I read the transcripts and I was absolutely horrified what happened to this woman. She she escaped with her life with within a, a millimetre. Well, that's the question that everyone is asking now is that how can this man with very obvious mental health issues who was homeless at the time of his release and at the time when he attacked Courtney, how could he be released from prison? How do you, how do you get that right in your mind? 
I don't because I've not seen it before. But of of releasing him early, so for starters, he was on a a, a, a very lenient ten and a half month sentence for when he attacked this woman. He there was a knife present. He was strangling her. He uh, broke her eye socket and permanently disfigured her. She, as I said, only escaped by um, by fighting back. So the severity of that and the light sentence, if, frankly, if he had to come to me as a lawyer and said, oh, I want to get out early, I would have said, don't waste your money. The other thing is that no psychiatric evidence was tendered in his release. In fact, he'd had a psychiatric assessment a few weeks before, and he did what, what he calls a code of silence. So the judge operated on no psychiatric evidence. But the big thing about releasing him is that he was released to no fixed address on a corrections order. So you, you can't issue a corrections order or parole to someone that you don't know where they are. You can't monitor them. And, and that of, of one factor was astounding because he just went straight out to live on in Flinders Lane under cardboard boxes, literally waiting to kill someone. We know that this in particular is a worst-case scenario, and we're talking about someone who was supposed to have been monitored by the system upon his release. But we have seen things like this happen before. We've seen people who were on parole in the case of Jill Ma, for example, or there was an instance with Sarah Kafferke who was murdered by a man who was just a couple of weeks out of his parole and he'd been a convicted murderer. This seems to be happening not in the exact same circumstances but similar circumstances regularly here in Australia. Is the system broken where it comes to treating men who perpetrate violence against women? Absolutely. I call this the apex of family violence, where you get the extreme circumstances and situations. With Courtney's killer, it was probably, if you can compare the other cases, this killer was not only on a parole, but he was released early out onto the streets. What I've heard since I've been digging around and advocating for Courtney is that there are actually quite a few cases between the courts now and they are actually subject to suppression orders. So some issues here is that we don't really know how many of these people are out potentially to commit these horrific crimes. And secondly, we don't even know if these women are killed because there are suppression orders out there. How do we fix this, John? Is there a case of, for example, you're talking about people don't know when these people are released and, I mean, if people have done their time, we're supposed to allow them to integrate back into society and get on with their lives. But should there be a change of rules for people who perpetrate violence, especially family violence, and who've had a long history of it, like in the case of Adrian Bailey with Jill Ma, do we have to have a different approach here? Do they need to be on a register where people can track their movements or their whereabouts or know their history? So if I again use the, the situation with, with Courtney's killer, First of all, the sentencing issues, if, if there's a serious crime against a woman, that has to be um, prosecuted to the full extent of the law. One little example with this perpetrator and his previous victim was strangulation. And that was identified in the Family Violence Royal Commission as a precursor to murder. So that's a red flag. But that was not mentioned at all in that case. So there's the, that issue there. But the other thing, too, with the offenders themselves, being released out onto the streets, almost all of them have problems with ice, methamphetamines. All of the killers in in Victoria to a man have been affected by ice 
when they've actually done their crime. So there needs to be more effort done. I won't use the term rehabilitation, but they have to be monitored and actually given assistance in that field of both mental health, that they're receiving adequate care, and for drug and alcohol problems because that will save lives definitely. What happens with Henry Hammond now? I mean, I know he's in a mental health facility, but could he be walking the streets again sometime soon? Possibly within a year. It could be 10, could be 15. So to explain to the listeners how that works, it's not like a prison sentence. He's there at the discretion of the health authorities. I'll I'll paint a hypothetical for you. If he made a miraculous recovery in a year, he could apply to the Supreme Court with the release, backed by a psychiatrist saying, yes, I'm, I'm cured now. Could I have a suppression order because it might affect my employment chances? Hypothetically, again, he could go out, kill someone, a body could turn up and you find out it's him again. Where to from here, John, for you and the rest of Courtney's family? Will you be fighting on... As far as this case is concerned, it's going to be very difficult to try and have him back before the courts for your daughter's death. But so where do you take it from here? Um, That's a good point because the um, tenet of double jeopardy means he he can't be tried again. Look, it's possible there could be other charges, but the Director of Public Prosecution's not in a frame of mind to, to do anything. They're in the frame of mind of making this just go away. And sadly for the next victim to emerge. And it's actually in that field where I think is is very important for Courtney's legacy. Of all the things that she would not want, it would be to have this repeated over and over again and nothing changed. So a lot of these potential reforms can come out of a coronial inquest. So that's just what we need now. But your message is very important. The media's been really good in highlighting a case. To, to many, this is even the beginning of this because we've just been – the Director of Public Prosecution has been rude and arrogant and the like, but it's it's all about getting some results here. Um, and we can't give up now because everyone in the authorities want us to go away. Do you plan on going away anytime soon? Does it sound like it? <laughs> I'm going to put my that's, money on you, that's mate. Me. <laughs> that's me. You should see mum. should burn the town down for them. So while women are being told to speak up, to take a stand, to allow police and the justice system to step in and protect them from these violent and sometimes mentally unstable men, that very system allows them to walk freely in those supposedly safe spaces without the proper support for those men who may have drug, alcohol or mental health issues, who may have anger or violence issues, who may be ready to take the life of another Australian woman, a woman who should be able to befriend a young man, buy him dinner and walk through a park without fear for her life. It's devastating. It really is. The effect on the siblings is very, very difficult. We all struggle through it. Um, If you look at some of the media articles and they use the term life sentence, it is a life sentence for us. And I think for Courtney, it's you deal with the grief and the death of a daughter, which is just unimaginable. But secondly, to have to fight the state the second time around is like killing her again. And then the third death is when the killer is just, shall we say, literally let off. Yeah, Yeah, it's difficult, but she gives me strength to do it, to keep going. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Jacob Round from Round Sound Music.